0: I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm not William Shatner. And I'm also not William Shatner. We're both disappointed by that, and you are being disappointed by No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. I don't think he listens to this podcast
1: either. (laughs) So what's new, Micaroo? Not a whole lot, Carrington. It's very, very hot, so
0: I'm sweating a lot right now. (laughs) If we hear shocks and buzzes, it's because you touched the mic.
1: At least it's a dry heat, you know. (laughs) It's a dry heave? A dry heat. Oh, heat. That's a totally different thing. We get, yeah, we get no humidity here, which actually
0: works to our benefit in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, how are things in sunny Toronto? it is sunny toronto it is motorcycling weather lately which makes me very happy and um it's awesome it's awesome bike is awesome weather's awesome everything's going other than i'm working too much in fact i am sitting in my office now it's eight thirty-seven at night here in toronto time and i'm basically just taking a break at work to record this podcast that is how busy i am they <sighs> overwork you i'm going to call and demand a raise for you i overwork me is the problem <laughs> i demand a raise for me too Ah, uh, So much work. Trying to get ahead of stuff because Kansas Fest is coming up and lots of things coming up in the next couple weeks. So busy, busy times.
1: It's probably okay that you had a lot to do because it's not like we could actually play this week's game.
0: Oh, gosh, no. We will get to the reasons why, but this week's game was thwartingly difficult. Thwartingly, I say, but for a reason, for a technical reason. Mike and I have an excuse. Excuse, <laughs> I say. For,
1: for our, our, our shockingly low scores this, this uh, week as opposed yes. to every other week when they're shockingly low.
0: They are. So uh, did we get feedback? Uh, We got some feedback. I got a feedback. Well, I think we both did from Matt D. He wrote in to say just, in fact, I think we got this right before we recorded the last show. So it technically came in before the last one. But he wrote a really, really nice letter. And in part, it reads, just wanted to let you know that I'm really enjoying your show. For a time, I contemplated attempting to make the exact same type of podcast, but ditched the idea because I know I'd never stick with it. Matt, I'm totally with you on that sometimes. Uh, glad to see somebody else is doing it so I can be in the audience instead. I like your show because it focuses on the games themselves as basic instruments of entertainment, as opposed to what you get from those snobby collector types who blather about cabinets and rarity and collectability really just pointed out the fact that we don't know anything but and how meme is blasphemy because it's not the real thing and all that okay I'm with him on that one that anyway he says after all I'm a gamer not a museum curator let's just talk about the things that really matter the gameplay the strategies the scores and whether or not there's any fun to be had with a given title Anyway, he goes on a bit as well and he recommends some games for us to play Um, he particularly recommends eggs which he says is tough but madly freaking addictive which is good bunch of adjectives he also recommends horizon which could almost be a sequel to moon patrol but 10 times more fun in his opinion and he recommends juno first which i don't know he calls it a space shooter with hmm. badass williams like sound effects i don't think i've heard of that one yeah me neither. and he recommends juggler which he says once you understand how the rules work it's a very addictive maze game and bosconian which uh, of those is the one i've played the most and he says not sure this counts as a deep cut but a very underrated game i'm with you on that Bost- bosconian is awesome anyway that was a very nice email
1: We will add all of those to the list. And I like this comment about sticking to it. Um, the reason that I asked you, Carrington, to join me, other than, well, other than the fact that I'm not very interesting and, and my voice tends to get very dull and drony when I, when I talk. Tell me a story. It's not very interesting. (laughs) Uh, is the fact that it's a lot easier to continue to do this over a long period of time when you have someone else to be accountable to. It's sort of like going to the gym. It's a lot easier to continue doing it when you don't want to do it anymore if somebody else is there with you, because then you can just blame it on them. Well, I have to go because I told him that I would be there, so
0: totally with you it is not a coincidence that i have done far more of like V's and double take and rcr the things that i have co-hosts that i can't let down than one megahertz which it's just me and i'm happy to let me down anytime <laughs> it's been like a year since i've done one of those because i'm just so lazy at heart yeah having a co-host is totally the way to go when it comes to podcasting
1: i agree regarding last week's game scramble which was awesome remember how it was awesome I don't. Do you remember um, that part? I, I think I we're it. talking about two different games here. Vintage Volts posted on Facebook that he says, fine, if Mike doesn't like Scramble, perhaps he'll fall in love with Super Cobra, which I'm pretty sure is the same game with a helicopter, so no.
0: <laughs> so yes, bring it. <laughs> Scramble's awesome. I played a bunch of Scramble again this week when I was getting frustrated by this week's game. Going <laughs> went back to Scramble. Scramble's really fun. Dr.
1: Quest over on Twitter Agrees with both you and Vintage Vaults. Once again, old man Mike tells Scramble to get off his lawn. <laughs> but Andrew Driver, also on Twitter, agrees with me. What? He, Andrew?
0: f tunnels. <laughs> But see, that's not him saying that the game sucks. Yes, it that's is. That's just him saying that it's hard. I completely agree with him. You get into those tunnels and it's difficult. And I find when you get to, what was it, stage five, where it's um the buildings. It's sort of the maze made of buildings instead of tunnels. That part is so difficult. It's where I always die. So, uh, But I still like the game. I'm just you know, with him saying that it's hard. Hey, hard uh, is good, though. Hard means you don't get bored of it.
1: I will take what I can get, all right? <laughs>
0: okay, that's all you got. That means nobody's on your side. <laughs>
1: CineCaster has a guess for this week's game. Tomatoes, bananas, and spinach. Oh, my. Spinach? Yep. Is there spinach? Little green piles. I thought those
0: were peas. No, I think that's spinach. Oh. Or that's what he saw, and that's what I saw when I played it. Okay, you guys are probably right. I thought it was piles of peas. He was right, though. His guess means he knows the game. I don't have any
1: more feedback.
0: Do you care? Nope. Me? We got very little feedback about um, about Scramble or about guesses of this well, game, I think. Part of, the, part of that is how long it took us to post the show. That was you. Yes, it was entirely Oh, was it you? Oh, that. that was just my sort of knee-jerk reaction saying that without even thinking about it.
1: No, it, it was. It was. I took forever to edit, and so it didn't go up until Tuesday, I think.
0: But you did the editing, and I didn't, so hurrah for that.
1: <laughs> Which was yesterday, so we wouldn't have had a whole lot of chance to get feedback. And that's just fine, because the less feedback about this game, the better. We're never speaking about it again after today. Well, it's only because it's hard to play at home. Well, no, I'm actually talking about scramble because oh a scramble scramble. Yeah, there's awesome. there one there's one thing that uh, it occurred to me last week that we forgot to talk about. Who oh, hit me? Hit me with more scramble. Normally we wouldn't I wouldn't go back to it, but this seems sort of important. We talked about how this game was basically pirated by another company. They got sued by Stern. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk too much about the reason for that. This is, I think, one of the only games from that time period that didn't have any kind of encryption on it, on the board. So. You could take the scramble board out, and basically, if you had any any game that required the, the Z-80 chip, could be put on this board. Oh, cool. Yep. And so it was, and that's why there is a whole category now of scramble games. This board ended up showing up in a whole lot of other games. Well,
0: that's pretty sweet. That makes the cabinet all the
1: more exciting to, to get, then. We talked last week, you had mentioned about how these games tend to be expensive, Hmm, and this might be why because you could put basically any
0: game on that board that you want that makes sense to me i really think that that is something that increases the desirability of having one for me like most arcade machines like of, of scramble sort where i think i get everything out of it that i would get if i just play it with mame having a cabinet has a little more appeal than if it's something that you can load up other games on and Yeah, I like it, because I thought the the art looked really cool. It's a nice-looking cabinet. So that is another in the plus column, I think.
1: Well, and I imagine that Omni Video Games, the company that ripped off Scramble from Stern and Konami, probably did so precisely because it was easy to do. It wasn't protected or encrypted in any way.
0: Which I think is unfortunate, because I am, as you know, quite the anti-copyright crusader, (laughs) which I still do think people should get paid for their stuff. I just don't think it should be done through copyright and DRM. Um, But it's disappointing when one... You know, big, bad, faceless, nameless company or whatever. But they put out a a cabinet and don't lock it down with this. And then immediately gets ripped off. And then just, you know, sends a bad message, unfortunately. So, uh, Omni ruins it for everybody.
1: This next game that we're about to talk about... um, Well, we can mention it now. It's it's Food Fight by Atari. And they protected this game by making it impossible to emulate.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes, they did. Well... It emulates the, the visuals perfectly, but the joystick, <laughs> unfortunately, the joystick is another matter. It took a very, very special joystick to operate this machine, and turns out that doesn't work very well when it comes to MAME, alas.
1: Yeah, I did not know about this when I chose the game last week, because I I'd, I'd never played it in emulation. I'd only ever played it in the arcade, and I loved it. It's a great game. I, I have a, a wonderful time playing it, but... Mm-hmm and maybe this is just me not being hardcore enough as as the atari age. Guys like to remind us that <laughs> I didn't know this going into the game that this joystick was going to be a problem. So instead of the standard four eight way digital switch style joystick that you had on 90% of the games out there, this is actually an analog that works with x and y potentiometers and they mapped it so that there could be 72 different directions with the joystick
0: and with five degrees between each angle. It's crazy, crazily detailed joystick. And as far as I can tell, well, first of all, it is definitely the case that this was the only machine that used this particular special electronic joystick. So I was thinking when you had said, hey, I think this is some fancy thing, I wondered, well, is it the same as what was in Sinistar or something? Because that was okay. But nope, this seems to be uh, a very unique one-time only joystick. There's a bunch of things about this game and this cabinet that are quite unique. And I guess the first one is this, crazy 300 billion degree joystick that comes in uh it shares some parts like there's this rubber bellows part i was reading the parts list and comparing the other games so it shares some parts with battle zone and some other games but for the most part it's a completely unique setup and as far as i could tell it's the very first solid state joystick in an arcade game
1: it does look like ultra stick 360 which is made by ultramark will mm-hmm. sort of do the simulation
0: would probably be better than what I was using. 8-Way does not cut it for this game.
1: So over at the American Classic Arcade Games webpage, there's a nice interview with Jonathan Hurd, who was the main developer of this game, over at the General Computer Corporation. GCC was a company that Atari contracted to do a few of their arcade games, and then they and then did. sued them. <laughs> did they really?
0: Yeah, they sued them for a copyright breach or whatever, because I think GCC stuck their own copyright on on stuff they did a a speed up or something for maybe i'm misremembering this but i'm pretty sure they did a speed up kit or something on i think it was missile command and they stuck their own copyright on it and apple or apple um atari said uh what meet me in court so they met in court and then they settled and i think part of the settlement was that they had to make some games for atari It was a weird sort of settlement i think this is one of those games if i'm remembering this all right atari age will correct me if i'm wrong
1: yeah so it looks like GCC in, in addition to the arcade games developed over 50 games for the consoles the various Atari consoles Cool Jonathan talks about uh, among other things the joystick and the decision to use that and and what that means so basically because of there are I guess different zones as long as the stick is sort of is close to the center you can stand in a pile of food and throw the food in a, in different directions without actually moving it's when you move the stick further out that he starts to run and there becomes this sort of uh, technique where you learn how to run in one direction and throw in the
0: other without without actually turning around or whatever, because you just pull it back and yeah, it's 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 crazy sweet because and and you see it in the graphics when you play this game in the arcade. The little fellow, uh, Charlie Chuck, is your avatar in this game, and he's running from four different chefs. Someone's Charlie's moving around he's got these big eyes and his eyes point in the direction that he's going to move but just like the joystick it has a crazy number of positions like there's not just oh it's eight icons for charlie looking in eight directions no it's like these eyes are googly eyes and they you have all this fine control all of which is unfortunately lost when you play it with an eight-way joystick like i foolishly did so we should talk a bit about the the gameplay for people who may not have actually played this game before. So I guess you get the idea that from the name Charlie Chuck's Food Fight, that it is uh, something to do with with throwing food. And it is the, the basic premises. There's a whole bunch of levels, 125 levels, I believe. Not that I got that far. And you start essentially on the right side and have to make it to the left side to eat an ice cream cone before it melts. Thwarting you, or attempting to thwart you, are four different chefs who have four different names. There's Oscar, Angelo, Jacques, and Zorba, and I think they're... They're slightly different looking, like they have different hats, but I can never really keep track of who's whom. But it's, you know, I'm sure this is inspired by the the four different named ghosts in in, uh, Pac-Man, the sort of idea that four people are after you, and they're slightly different, and they have names and and personalities. They do different things. And the goal is, they're trying to stop you, they pop out of the ground, and they can leave holes that you could fall in, but you can also try to make them fall in the holes. And there's food lying around, and you can pick up the food, um, pies and bananas and tomatoes and supposedly... Spinach, so I still say it's peas <laughs> and um, watermelon. And you can chuck it at them or they can pick it up and chuck it at you. And, and the, the timer is basically this melting ice cream cone. You've got to make it to the ice cream cone. Uh, you pick up points along the way by, by zapping these people with food, but, um, try to make it to the ice cream cone. And then your head gets massively huge <laughs> and you eat the ice cream cone <laughs> in a hilarious bit of graphics, which appeals to me and makes me laugh like every time, no matter how often I play this game. And then, After you eat the Eskimo Cone, there's this moment where you just look totally stoned. (laughs) It's so bizarre. This graphic the guy gets with this satisfied smile and these sort of glazed eyes, which I guess is supposed to make him look full, but I'm thinking munchies.
1: Yeah, you'd mentioned the four chefs there, and it looks like each one of those is different, just based on their names, a different food style. Maybe that's why they're dressed differently. Angelo would probably be the Italian chef. Zorba, the Greek chef. I don't know who Oscar would be. Maybe the American and Jacques, the French chef. And this is another game that like Pac-Man and some of the more successful non-shooter-killing space types that they developed under the auspices of, of wanting to develop a game for women and trying to avoid violent games. Jonathan Hurd, again, talks about this in the interview, where he's trying to come up with ideas for a non-violent game that would appeal to everybody.
0: I think it was a couple of episodes ago you had mentioned one of the problems with that game, whatever it was, was it really felt like somebody just had a we're trying to make a game to fit a category or to fit a, a goal rather than organically coming out. So it, was, it had no art, it had no feet, like real no emotion to it. It just it was unsuccessful because it felt forced. Mm-hmm. It might be the case that they were trying to do that here, but I think it's a much more successful gameplay. I think it's fun. I like the the graphics. I like the character of it. Um, if it wasn't for this joystick, I mean, it's, it's excellent gameplay when it comes to actually playing it in an arcade. I think this game is a, a rip-roaring success, in my opinion. Just don't play it on me. Right. <laughs> it would be great if we could play it. <laughs> yeah, this would be a great game if we could play it. <laughs>
1: Uh, it looks like they were initially going to go with a trackball to develop this, and, and maybe that would have affected... Well, it certainly would have affected main play. I don't know how it would have changed it in the arcade. As I was playing it, and I, I, re- I remember playing this at Fun Spot in my uh, last journey there, wondering why it didn't have the, the two-joystick scheme that some of these other games do, where you move with one and fire with like the other. Like a
0: Robotron type yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and obviously this is why, because it has this weird analog joystick that they came up with. There, there was a, another game called Red Baron that used a similar analog joystick, but I guess it, that particular one wasn't sturdy enough to handle the abuse that the food fight players rained down upon it. So they went,
0: they kept breaking and so they went with this other one. Yeah. This, this, this is a, a joystick that does have to take some abuse. Like when you play this in the arcade, it gets quite frantic and you are <laughs> yes, yanking on this joystick around. So it is something I can see that would bust, which is unfortunate. We'll talk later about the cabinet and its collectability, but it, it's very difficult to get parts for for this um for this joystick thank goodness it's robust, otherwise you know it's something you would just wouldn't be able to repair because it's a it's a one of a kind device This game
1: also has probably one of the earliest instances of a feature called instant replay in it.
0: The instant replay is awesome that's another thing I mean we should just have a checklist of awesome, unique things about this game, and instant replay is one of them. Tell us about the instant replay Mike I like it.
1: I can't because I didn't play long enough to be able to see it.
0: Okay, okay. So why I'll it tell me? you about the insta replay because I got it. I got them a couple times. And reading online about the insta replay, there seems to be some disagreement about why it gets triggered. And I think most sites are wrong. Most sites say that it gets triggered if you eat the ice cream right before it melts. And that does not seem to be the case because I've had it triggered when I eat the ice cream with lots of time left. It seems to actually be triggered by when you have a lot, when you basically have an exciting level so when you finish one particular level and you have lots of close calls so lots of times where you've become like within a pixel or two of getting touched by one of the chefs or almost hitting a chef or hitting chefs when you throw food at them and you're right at them you'll basically push the pie into their face when you have a number of close calls it seems then it will trigger this instant replay and the instant replay is amazing You'll finish the level, it'll say, let's see that again, and it replays your entire level. It's basically recorded it, you get to see the whole thing again, but it plays different music. It's this exciting kind of music, and it's music that has um, an end to it, like da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and it times the music so that it ends exactly when you eat... The ice cream cone, even no matter how long your, your, your game is. So it's sort of backing up saying the play is going to be this long. So it starts the music at the right point so that it's going to end exactly when you eat the ice cream cone. It's really, I was very impressed by the history play. And I think the reason it can do it is it's got that big honking 68K processor. And I think this was the first arcade game to use that processor.
1: There are a couple of things that, that we should mention about what, what you just said. First of all, according to this interview, Jonathan heard you were exactly correct about that the level needs to be exciting, and in fact, that's exactly the word that he used. He said it, originally it was going to happen, it was going to be triggered randomly at the end uh, of a level, but some of the levels were boring, and so watching it wasn't any fun. So he changed it so that the instant replay would happen only if it was exciting. The player had to have at least one close shave with flying food and with a chef. And then we realized it would be great to have music accompanying the instant replay, and Patty Goodson composed original music. The tricky thing here is that An instant replay could last anywhere between 8 and 30 seconds, so Patty wrote 8 different versions of the music, and then in the software I played the appropriate version a little bit faster or a little slower so that the tune started exactly when the level started and ended
0: exactly when Charlie Chuck ate the cone. See? Awesome. And the nice thing is I hadn't read the interview, but I realize that playing it. I was really impressed by the instant replay. I was like, they they timed the music. How how did they do that? Like, it was like Just a, an incredibly impressive thing for a game basically made in 1982, even though it was released in 1983.
1: There is a reason that some people think that it's triggered if you eat the cone at the last possible second. Oh, why is that? It's because that's a bug in the game. And he talks about that too, and wishing that he had caught it and been able to take it out.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Because most sites online say it's when you eat the ice cream cone at the last minute. So I kept trying to do that, and it wouldn't trigger any replays. But I would notice it would trigger replays if I had a game level where at the end of the level I'd go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got through that. And it would say, let's see it again. I'm like, well, that's not a coincidence.
1: We're right again about the kitchen sink approach here. But although it looks like this actually worked, uh, whereas in Bubbles it just didn't work at all.
0: Well, I guess we say it worked, but it didn't work well enough for this game to be actually popular. It didn't. They only made uh, less than 2,000 of these things, and they, don't, they didn't sell very well. He
1: said it would not be an exaggeration to say that for every idea that was incorporated a Food Fight, there were 10 that we had to leave out, and he lists a few of them, and you can see why they were left out. But yes, it was one of these development situations where they needed to, or they felt that they needed to throw in as much as possible to differentiate it from everything else that was out there, and it was more successful than Bubbles anyway, at least as far as the gameplay is <laughs> concerned. Now, you mentioned that there were only 2,000 cabinets. Carrington, tell me about the Food Fight cabinets.
0: I know that it runs under, like, we look at the, the, hardware inside it at first. I know the main CPU is a 68K and I think it runs at 6 megahertz. So that's a crazy big and fast chip for something from 1982. And then I don't know what the sound is but presumably it'll be pokies cuz you know it's Atari. So it will be a couple of pokey chips. That's just what they do. The cabinet it's there's so many things that are unique about this game. So we've got the unique joystick, and we've talked about that. The cabinet itself is really nice. It's really colorful. It's got almost clown like um, color schemes to it very vibrant blue and red and yellow and the side art is nice and colorful and cartoony and it shows chuck looking very much like a dennis the menace kind of character but holding a big pie over his head and looking mischievous and he's staring at this huge ice cream cone with his munchy eyes and the marquee has a big bright food fight logo on it in rounded letters um in fact it's actually billed as uh charlie chuck's food fight so i guess technically that's the official name of it um with them trying to to get a, a character based game here and atari put their logo on it twice so this is probably them reminding this company that look it is ours our copyright me 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 so they stuck their logo all over this thing uh, it's a particularly rare cabinet there were 1900 and something some low number so just over 1900 uprights made and the uprights have a very distinctive side cutout so when you look at the walls there's always a shape to it and there's certain cabinets that have a certain kind of shape you can look at nintendo cabinets and they have a shape to them this one is far as I can tell has a unique shape so you can tell a food fight cabinet just from silhouette unfortunately if you're seeing one of these cabinets in silhouette you're probably seeing something else because the vast majority of these then got converted into something else because the game simply didn't perform so if you come across one of these cabinets it's probably going to be something it's suddenly an altered beast it's whatever which is really such a huge waste of this joystick and so many of these cabinets then had their control panels ripped out and replaced by later cabinets, so you'd have a standard joystick or a pair of joysticks and buttons. So most of these cabinets were completely mutilated. Oddly, online, most people only talk about the the full upright and the fact that there were cocktail cabinets, but there was also a cabaret, and it seems to have ma- been made specifically for Ireland. It's even called the Ireland-made model in the in all three versions of the the manual, so very weird. So Ireland seemed to want small cabinets or something, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it was actually made in Ireland, even though it's called the Ireland-made model. It seems to have been made for Ireland and for the most part exported there, but they did very few of those and then there was cocktail cabinets as well but they made less than a hundred of them so incredibly rare to come across a cocktail cabinet for this so they're bonkers bonkers rare cabinets i couldn't find a single one of these online at an auction or anything that sold in quite a while other than a few from the big resellers online like the big plate people there's a few big companies that have sites where they take in cabinets and and refinish them and resell them and they've sold their food fight cabinets anywhere from to $3,000 a piece. I don't think that reflects actual value because these are places that normally sell all their cabinets for over $2,000. Even if it's a cabinet, you can get for half that elsewhere. So, um, but it does seem to be an incredibly collectible cabinet because of the joystick. It's an incredibly difficult to repair cabinet. So if you were looking to get one, getting the cabinet itself in good kit is not that big a deal because you can always repair the art and what have you. The monitor is not that, out like weirdly non-standard um the problem is that joystick if you want to buy one of these you want to make sure you get a working joystick um you can replace the rubber part with bits out of battles on it looks like but everything else is completely unique and as far as i can tell there are no sources for it so there you go that's our cabinet update
1: wow that's uh it's rather disappointing um, mm-hmm. that it didn't sell that well one and two it that- should have
0: this is a good game
1: yeah i really really like this game i had a great time playing it in the arcade. Yes. And, and <laughs> not so much this time. <laughs> yeah. It was frustrating because I couldn't oh. figure out. I'm running around, and, I'm, and I remember doing really well in the arcade. I could get mm-hmm. up to level 25 or 26 or something like that without any problem. In this one, I I was having a hard time getting past two or three screens. And I, I was like, what is going on here? So I started researching, and then it was – that's when I saw all this about the joystick. The Game itself is, as you mentioned, the, the Motorola 68000 at 6 megahertz. It did have three Pokey sound chips each at six kilohertz. Three? Oh,
0: wow. That's a lot of Pokeys. Two
1: players alternating, uh, one analog stick and one button to throw your food. Uh,
0: this game was... Inspired by the food fight scene in National Lampoon's Animal House. Sure, if that makes sense. It's period appropriate, and that was a big thing from a bit before. It's. I think we mentioned it earlier, but it's kind of weird that this. The title screen on this says uh, 1982, but it was actually released in March 1983. It was
1: designed for Atari by General Computing as part of the lawsuit settlement for an illegal speed-up kit for Missile Command.
0: Ah, missile command! I thought it was missile command.
1: To which they affixed their copyright. This was one of two games that they, two arcade games that they designed for Atari.
0: The other was Quantum. Yeah, that one is not ringing the bell. In reading the manual for this, this game has a lot of settings that you can fine tune as the operator. For instance, the um, where you get bonus lives. There's two different settings, as there are in a lot of games, where you can say when's the first bonus life come in and when do subsequent ones. By the factory settings, they are. I think it's 25,000 and 100,000. And the second one is a multiple. So basically you'd get a, a bonus at 25,000, then you'd get one at 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, and so forth. But you can set each of those numbers to be anything you want between 5,000 and a million. Wow. So you could say, I want it to be at 5,000 and every multiple of 5,000. You can like crank in the lives. Your starting number of lives can be anywhere from two to five. The difficulty has five different settings as well. So you can like, it's a it's a game where you can make this way easier or way more difficult according to the settings and yet not very popular. Yeah, I just, I don't understand the, the popularity thing there. Uh, you know what I didn't understand at first was how to put your stinking initials in. Yeah, that's, like the, that's a challenge too. You know? <laughs> the high score table is this bizarre, you're in the center, and it's a ring of, of letters around you and you're sort of, firing a stream at the letters <laughs> they hit them like it's really bizarre and, and the list is the um, fabulous food flingers are the the high score people so there's a lot of there's a lot of charm to this game like just all the little details are just fantastic it was also in both fix it felix jr and real genius two of my favorite movies my favorite movie from the 80s actually Oh real genius real is so genius good love that movie yep. the the j a h
1: on the high score table is are the initials of the creator, Jonathan Hurd, and the other initials are the other game developers. Oh, that's nice. The game was ported to the Atari 7800, the Atari XEGS, the Tandy Color Computer, the Atari 800, and showed up in the Atari Flashback Classic Game Console that was released in 2005, and that's it. There are no. I'm
0: surprised ports. this was on a Cocoa. I had a Coco, and that thing could not run a lot of stuff. I'm pretty surprised you could port something that required a, a 6 megahertz 68K and put it on a Coco. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> really now? Okay. It, it may have been pretty crappy. Yeah, I, have, I haven't actually played it, so I did, I, that's a port I did not know about. In fact, I don't think I've played this in any other port. I never played the 7800 version, which I guess is the most popular of the ports. It was on the first version of the Atari Flashback, so I know the game was on there. And then it was removed, I think, for subsequent versions. But, of course, with the flashback, the only version you want to get is version number two of the four flashbacks you want number two. I'll write that down. You should. Everyone should write that down because that's the one that you can hack very easily, hack in an actual cartridge slot and it's the only one of the four you can do that and it's a simple simple crazy simple hack so you get a you get all the built-in games but you can now play any actual cartridge and yeah so that's the one you want to get is version two
1: is it easy to find version two is it still being produced
0: yeah surprisingly easy and surprisingly doesn't cost more like on ebay or various places online than the later versions in fact the later versions often cost more because they come with more built-in games but who cares dude the cartridges are cheap and like you want version two and it's fun to have a hacked one impress the ladies food
1: fight is one of the 12 collector pinball tables that Atari released in 1982 as well
0: i did not know that
1: and well let's let's just get to it the scores for us oh. obviously don't matter really for this and
0: the score is not fair because my score which i got from level five my highest score this last few days was thirty six thousand one hundred. and i swear i would get five times that when i play in the arcade i was destroyed by this game this week and it and it's not fair
1: i I had the exact same experience as you. my My score was a little bit lower. I had thirty two thousand
0: two hundred: and probably around the same level then, because level five was the highest I got too. and If
1: I kept at it, I may have got a little bit further, but it was just so frustrating that: I
0: remember in the arcade, the first five levels are basically a cakewalk. You can just like walk across the screen, and it's no problem. So it's ridiculous that that's as far as I could get. Ken Okamura holds the
1: official record for this game on the regular settings with 103,103,100 (laughs) points. Yeah, try it in name. (laughs) John Dorkin holds the official record for the game on tournament settings with 1,234,100 points set on June 3rd, 2001. And I would love to be able to go on and on about this game from my experience playing it this week, but I can't, obviously. But I do have some great memories, and and I know that uh, this is one that they have at at fun spot. I know they don't have it here at the one up or the two up right now. And obviously the rarity is probably what contributes to that. So I look forward to playing it when I get, when I get back to Weirs Beach.
0: Disappointing. I think this is also a, a first for us in all our episodes where it's a game where both of us are admitting that. This week, it was not fun to play this game. We, we, we sent email back and forth a bunch of times about this saying, what the heck? This game is sucks. This game is unplayable. But both of us are nonetheless saying, this game is awesome and I recommend it. You just can't play it in main. Like this is, this is a game that you want to seek out an actual cabinet for. Like we've played a few of those and this is on that list.
1: Most of them are, are fairly obvious because of the controller schemes and things like that. You wouldn't walk up to a food fight game and think, that this would be a problem to play, because it doesn't have the spinner-stick combination that that Tron has or the weird flight sticks that Mm -hmm. that things like Star Wars and Afterburner have. Um, It looks like just a a regular stick-and-two-buttons
0: game. Yeah, it's weird to say, like, I didn't have fun playing this game at all, but this would actually make the short list of games for which I'd like to have a cabinet. Part of it is because... You can only play this game in the cabinet, it seems. And part is because playing it this week in this crappy version reminded me how fun it was. It made me sort of miss the game. So right now I'm thinking, heck yeah, I dropped the, drop the coin to get one of these g- games. Because this is a fun and challenging game with a lot of charm and like 125 levels, which would take a long time to ever be able to get good enough to get through. And I think, yeah, this would be a really fun cabinet to have in in an arcade collection.
1: Well, I know the audience likes it when we argue with each other, but I think in this case, I agree with you completely. This would would be probably one of the top five that I would want in a
0: cabinet. Form. There are a lot of games on your top five list, dude. If I go back over our episodes, you've got like 25 games on your top five list. I don't know if this is five, not in base 10 or something. It's my <laughs> list. I
1: can have as many top fives as I want. Shut up. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. So what's going on with your fives?
1: <laughs> look at th- look at it this way. When you sell your Fix-It Felix cabinet, <laughs>
0: you'll have enough money to buy one of these. <laughs> good. Yeah, if I, I want to sell my cabinet so that I make space. <laughs> it's, <laughs> counter, it's counterproductive if I just pick up more cabinets. I bet you pick one up anyway, though. I might. I have yet to sell mine. I keep. I keep talking big, but uh, I don't seem to actually be listing it.
1: Well, shall we discuss
0: next week's game? Yes, we shall start with the sound of the game
1: we usually do because <laughs> if we try to play video in the audio podcast, it doesn't work
0: very well. Yes, the game looks like this. That's right. <laughs> so, what does it sound like, Mike?
1: Um, this Carrington.
0: That sounds incredibly fun. I think so. I think and I do. think we're going a, nif- a different way. I wonder if people will guess.
1: Uh, we are, and I bet
0: they will. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for podcasting with me, and darn you for picking this unplayable game at
1: Yeah, home. Yeah, sometimes you win, sometimes you get this game, and sometimes you get scramble. Anyway, have a nice week, everybody.
0: <laughs> See you soon. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain.